The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can access old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all on my little screen today. <laughs> Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Scott. Uh, here we are, I guess, uh, week number 28, 29 of this uh, pandemic. Slowly, I guess uh, we have to learn to live with it, no matter what it is we're doing, including financial planning. Uh, and, and you're talking about this today with stocks for the long haul. Uh, yes, Andy and I were fortunate enough, usually this uh, past week we would be in a conference somewhere in Canada. Uh, it's an educational conference, and we, we, we have to have 40 hours per year, and we certainly do more than that to keep our CFP, our Certified Financial Planner. So this is usually the week that we have this, and I think it was supposed to be in Ottawa this year, but anyhow, yeah. as you know, uh, every travel has been uh, stopped pretty much all around, and all conferences are going virtual. So we had our first virtual conference this year, and one of the speakers is Jeremy Siegel. And I know Andy and I, have, we've mentioned his name um, over the years in the past. It was great to hear him again. Always comes out from, with some interesting information. He's a, a doctor, or a professor rather, at Wharton University, and he's written a book, Stocks for the Long Run. And it's a great book. I think it's like 500 pages and it basically gives you a reason why, over the last 200 years, stocks continue to go up. And they are a very good investment long-term. And again, hence the name, stocks for the long run. And generally speaking, they average about 6% above inflation. And that's what they call a real rate of return. How much are you beating inflation by? So when you ever hear on the radio, the real rate of return is 2%. That's inflation plus 2%. Okay? So really, it's a... It just seemed to be a very appropriate subject right now with the, uh, the COVID-19 going on and the pandemic. And basically, how is that affecting the stock market? And it seems to be a question around cocktail, <laughs> virtual cocktail parties, if you will, or anything else. Whereas, okay, what's the market going to do? Why is it going up so fast? And uh, it started out that the stimulus in the United States that literally increased the money supply by 31%. That is massive. So I, I was unaware of the amount as a percentage time. We all know they were putting in trillions of dollars, but, you know, give or take a trillion, what is a trillion? What does it mean? And so when he actually said 31% increase in the money supply, okay, that means something. No wonder the markets have bounced back so much. And I know Warren Buffett way earlier, um, he said he didn't need to be a lender this year because as opposed to 2008 and nine, where he kind of helped out companies and he lent money at fairly high interest rates and helped, it, you know, helped out his investments. But he couldn't do anything this year was because the governments were kicking in money at an extreme and keeping the liquidity going. And when there's liquidity in the markets, that means people are able to buy things and the companies can continue to thrive. And hence why we had such a bounce back and to the point that the U.S. markets are basically, you know, close to where they were, if, depending on which market, but they basically have bro- got back to where they 
they started um, and, and have actually gained year-to-date in some, in some instances. Certainly the NASDAQ, which is the technology one, is doing extremely well. Um, the S&P 500, which is the 500 largest companies in the U.S., is basically up 1%. And the Dow Jones, which you often hear about, is 40 of the largest companies. It's down maybe 3%. So year-to-date, uh, break-even. And, and, you know, you go back to March, a lot of people probably would never have guessed that here we would be come September saying, oh, wow, we're back to even. So the, part of the reason was the stimulus package. And the other part is, it's interesting, the market's direction, the stock market's direction is, and we've talked about this before, is based on what they predict the future to be. And to be more specific, the stock market's direction is 90% based on the earnings greater than 12 months away. So they're trying to predict where we are September, October, or later than that even, of 2021, to try to get an idea what the company is worth now. So, every, you know, all this bad news you might hear of, you know, close, shutdowns, etc., unemployment rates, that has less bearing than what they expect the earnings to be in the company a year from now. So this is why you go back to 08, 09, and in March, it was all bad news. There was nothing good back in March of 2009, but the market started to rise, and it was basically guessing where things would have been March of 2010. And of course, the market and the economy was doing actually quite a lot better by then. So the predictive, the the prediction is that things will be pretty good by this time next year, based on what the markets foresee. And then he went on to talk about interest rates a little bit, and basically interest rates. Um, when you think about a, a bond, now a government bond is often in dominations of a 10-year bond or a 20-year bond. They lock it up a rate for a long period of time. And there's been a lot of talk about this recently. But if you go back to the early 80s, that was when the uh, interest rates hit their peak. And I don't know about uh, you, Scott. You might have remembered uh, mortgage rates or, you know, certainly up there in the high teens back then. Uh, that's you guys are a lot older than I am. I don't remember any of that at all. I just remember rates being, you know, two, Liar. three, four percent. Hasn't it been that way for a while? <laughs> well, funny enough, um, you're absolutely right, Scott. It is slightly before our time. I was in university at the time, and and Canada savings bonds were nineteen and a half percent. I do remember that, but I did uh, remember, you know, certainly my parents and so forth, um, and getting into the market after university, interest rates were thirteen percent. And we all hoped like it would go down to 10% someday. That would be just fantastic. Well, now you're getting five-year mortgage rates at under 2%, which we would have never had guessed this back in the middle 80s. So what happens, though, if interest rates drop, bonds go up. So they go the opposite direction of interest rates. Now, if interest rates rise, bonds go down. So perfect example, if you had a 10-year bond currently paying 2%, and the government lowers interest rates by 1%, so now you're only getting a 1% rate of return on your bond for the next 10 years, you still got this bond paying 2%. You own this bond. It's going to give you 2 for the next 10 years. And the, going, the new rate, the new bonds, are only going to give you 1. So therefore, your bond is more valuable. It's going to go up because yours is paying 2 and the new bonds are only paying 1. So that's why if interest rates drop, bonds go up. Now, the opposite is also true. If interest rates went to 3%, then you're stuck with this 2% bond for the next 10 years, and yours is worth less. So if you had to sell it, nobody's going to pay you what you paid for it anymore because they can just go on the street and get one at 
So that's, in a nutshell, how bonds work. So we've been riding a 40-year bull market since the middle 80s, early 80s, of interest rates dropping and bonds doing better. So what uh, Jeremy Siegel is basically thinking is, you've had a great run, um, you've seen the last of it. Okay, so um, I know we talked last week, Scott, about mortgage rates. You know, based on what Jeremy Siegel was just talking about, not a bad idea. If you do have this option to lock your mortgage in, we're pretty much at the bottom now, mm. if, he, if his predictions are true. And then if you can borrow at less than 2%, uh, go for it, because, you know what, uh, we may not see that again, and it's a great opportunity to lock in your mortgages for that period of time. So he's looking at inflation will start to rise because of all this financial stimulus. And, of course, once the economy starts to do better, you've got a combo of all that money supply increasing because of the government stimulus, plus just simply the economy. And that will start to spark some inflation, nothing like what we've seen way back in the 80s, but you might have you know, 2 or 3% inflation. And if, if in- inflation goes up, interest rates go up with it. And that's going to wipe out a lot of the value in bonds. So right now he's not a big fan of bonds, and he, he likely thinks things are going to find other investment options that will pay a lot better, um, particularly stocks. Um, certainly had a lot of ideas. Uh, leisure will eventually come back. Everybody's probably dying to get on a plane and going somewhere, particularly after we go through a winter of dealing with the cold. And people will, die, will love to hit, uh, say, you know, Florida, Cuba, etc., to try to hit the warmth again. And so leisure travel will come back. There will be a vaccine, he believes, sometime, maybe by the end of the year or certainly early next year, that will allow people to kind of resume a, some type of normalcy. But work will never be the same. This is a great kind of experiment, science experiment that's gone on, and it's been a good one. Because who, who would have made these kind of changes to technology had we not been forced to? Right now, for example, we're sitting here, one person in Oakville, one person's in Hamilton, and one person's in Burlington, and we're doing a radio show. Mm-hmm. We would have never done this before. And, and this is why we've been forced to do it, and, it's, and it works okay. And for business, it's even more so. I think there's a whole lot of older people that didn't trust millennials, and they had to manage them. They had to see them to make them work. Well, they're realizing they really didn't have to see them. Hmm. And my daughter's a perfect example. She's a, she works for a consulting company, and she was traveling every week to wherever they sent her for you know, stints of four months at a time, and she'd leave on a Monday morning, come home on a Thursday, and she'd go to Delaware, Chicago, what have you. Well, after this last six months, there's not a chance it's going to go back to that. Hmm. Uh, the company she's working for is doing even better. Their expenses are down, and they're getting, the productivity is actually up. And what they're finding right now, productivity is up 2% in the U.S. through this pandemic, and partly due to the virus because people are trying new ways, and profits are up because of this. So who would have guessed that it took a pandemic to make profits, to profits actually increase? Well, many have said that the technology that we're all using now on a regular basis, the kids are using it in school, it's been around for years. It's been around for 10, 20 years. It's just we, as you said, uh, people are, 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 you know, they don't want to change, and it takes something like this in order to trip that change. And now we don't know how we've done without it, really. 
And yes, I talked to somebody. It really comes between trust and and people had man. You had to manage people. Well, now they're saying well, you don't really have to manage them. You have to lead people. Mm. And there's a big difference. And there's and if you trust your employees to be doing a good job, and you find that they're they're doing everything, but they can now do it virtually, why wouldn't you want to save them the travel and save the expenses of the company, and still accomplish all the things that you were doing before? So yes, this has been great. It's actually helping the markets, and so. Then there's also type, different types of stocks and other things he got into, which we'll certainly do go over after the break. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're talking about stocks for the long run here. And yes, uh, Andy informed me during the break that it was actually 10%. I love when I'm wrong, and it's actually actually better than I actually turns out to be. Thanks, Andy. Um, yes, it, the, the only thing with virtual conferences, you get the odd glitch here and there, and I must have uh, must have misheard that one. So, COVID actually has helped the economy, and it's made things very productive. So, productivity has gone up 10%. And of course, you're seeing certain stocks absolutely do extremely well, and the ones that have done extremely well have been growth stocks, and those would be kind of the technology stocks, the Apple of the Apples of the world, uh, Microsoft, um, Google, Facebook, Tesla for that matter. I don't know if that's a, te- a technology stock, but again, you're seeing these, these tech-based companies doing phenomenal this year. In fact, if it wasn't for five companies and the big ones we, I just mentioned, the S&P would actually be negative this year. And they've, they've actually pulled so much weight because of how much they've gone up. Now, right now, Jeremy Siegel says that the prices have been fairly priced now and that you won't see those type of gains in growth stocks going forward. And certainly there's these other stocks called COVID, stay-at-home stocks, that may actually start to go down. And there's a lot of like DocuSign where you can do things, you know, you're sending documents uh, you know, via email, and people are signing them back and forth, or Peloton, where people are working out in their in their uh, condos or houses or what have you. Those are your stay-at-home stocks, and they, he feels those have probably gone a little bit too far. But at the end of the day, growth stocks are are growth stocks, and they're trying to figure out what they're worth going forward, and they take a present value because they really haven't been around that long. Like how you know how long has DocuSign been around? It hasn't been much. And certainly Peloton hasn't been around that long, so how do you value it? So they're looking at what they expect it to do going forward, and then they get a present value. Value stocks are quite the opposite. They go backwards looking, and they try to look at how has the company performed in the past, you know, how much is its dividend rate, and, and where do they see the demand going forward to get a fair value. So when you hear you know, the stocks are overvalued, that's usually a value manager, or the stocks are undervalued. That's a value manager think, well, undervalued means, well, they're probably a good time to buy now. And these are what the fund managers are looking at every day. Now, if you've got a growth stock 
manager and a value stock manager in the same room. I doubt they're going to get get along too well. They'll probably have, you know, very mixed opinions on how things are doing because they have a very different strategy on how they manage money. But it's great. You should have both in your portfolio. And I know Andy and I always make sure we balance those two off. Uh, Jeremy Siegel saying going forward, though, he does expect value stocks to start to outperform growth stocks, particularly when the economy opens up. And also, because interest rates are so low, investors are going to start to look for yield, things that pay interest or dividends. And when you have a value stock, and whatever that stock might be, I don't know, McDonald's or 3M or what have you, that pays us, say, a 3 or 4 or 5% dividend, or Royal Bank here in Canada, you know, those are paying a very good dividends. And you're not getting that kind of interest rate elsewhere. So you're going to start to see people start to find yield or, or try to start buying things with higher yields to support their retirement. And so that will start pushing up value stocks. And right now, the P.E. ratio on value stocks is 20. So that's the price-earnings ratio. It's the price of the stock divided by the earnings per share. And that's actually a little high. The the 150-year average is 15 times. But right now, it's at 20 times. But as Jeremy said, he says that is actually probably a good spot based on where interest rates are, and it's not considered too high. So he does expect um, value stocks to do well going forward, and he does think that... um, They're actually inexpensive right now. So, again, when it comes to your financial plan and your investment portion of your plan, getting the right mix is great. We are far from profits and knowing which area is going to do the best. It's just best to have both areas. I know know Andy was in on this meeting also, and he's got a lot to add to this. Yeah, you know, uh, Don, I was uh, remembering uh, Dr. Jeremy Siegel, and ironically, and, and I've been following his um, his information and research for the last uh, dozen years. And it was actually in the fall, literally our exact same time period, our conference, educational conferences that we do in the fall in 2008, hmm. just at the beginning of the financial crisis. And he spoke to our group in Winnipeg. And uh, at the time, I was um, so impressed that I bought his book, Stocks for the Long Run, and read it. And um, just if your listeners are interested, uh, again, Dr. Jeremy Siegel, not like the bird Siegel, it's S-I-E-G-A-L, but uh, he um, has written a new book called uh, The Future for Investors. So again, that book called The Future for Investors, if you're looking for some um, COVID reading. But um, (laughs) yeah, so 2008, I was first introduced to him. And uh, I tell you, I've been so impressed. And at the time, he... um, he, he kind of called the end in some ways to the crash at that time in the context of price valuations and what he saw in the future in terms of a, of a recovery. But, you know, we've heard, and some of the things that he talked about in, in the conference this week was talking about, uh, you know, and I've even had clients talking or asking about deflation mm-hmm. and he's actually talking about the opposite, which is inflation. And part of that is this massive increase in the amount of what they call the M1 reserves at central banks and uh, this 35% increase uh, March through July. So there's a lot of money out there. And the fact is that the, the Federal Reserve in the U.S., which typically has a 2% target, is going to let that be modified or expanded. So they're going to let inflation run above target and it could be as high as 3 to 5% inflation. So we're not talking about hyperinflation like we saw back in the 80s, which resulted in very high interest rates. 
But having a 3 to 5% inflation rate running for the next three to five years is part of how he sees things going forward. But this is going to be very good for stocks and, and to be in stocks because um, many companies have been able to lock in their debt at historic low interest rates that we've had recently. So you've got companies well-positioned, low interest debt and low interest debt payments associated with um, a lot of great value companies, as Don was talking about. And um, and as a result, they're going to be well-positioned even in a period of, of higher uh, inflation as well. So as a result, the Fed's going to let those longer-term rates start to go up. So we might be seeing, um, you know, a one to a one and a half to two and a half percent increase in long-term interest rates. So those would be your five-year mortgages plus. But the short-term rates are going to stay exactly where they are. They're going to stay very low. So that spread's going to open up, whereas right now it's more narrow. And um, so, I the other thing that we um, that we started to talk about, of course, were uh, the issues of today, which we've got an election coming up. Mm-hmm. And what impact is uh, is a Biden government or a Trump government going to have in terms of the future for for stocks and um, and the economy as well? And, and, and Andy, um, how, how often are people asking you that question these days? Well, you know, it, it, it's it's coming up more. Just it's a cocktail conversation. But mm-hmm. ironically, I think um, everybody's sort of just silent on this. I haven't had a lot of questions about it, to be honest. And I'm not sure why, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it looks like on the surface that we're talking about a Biden presidency. That's what the numbers are saying. And um, but the concern with that has always been the tax policies, the tax policies around uh, around a Biden election uh, uh, presidency. And so um, but in countering that sort of worry, he talked about the Senate. And that based on, and he does a lot of research in terms of trying to understand from a political perspective, where are the bets going and where are people leaning in terms of issues like this? And and the one thing that he identified was that the Senate seems to be very balanced. And at the end of the day, if you end up with a Biden presidency, which is sort of left-leaning and more tax-leaning, but with a balanced Senate, he will then have to modify his tax position in terms of um, increasing taxes, etc. And he says, if we get that equation where we get a Biden presidency and a balanced Senate, uh, this could really start a rally, uh, a stock market rally. So there's a number of issues happening uh, on the election front. Um, a Trump rally, a Trump presidency, uh, probably continues to keep the economy going as as sort of status quo, but his biggest fear with a Trump presidency would be aggressive trade issues and trade wars. And he does not see that as a, as a good solution to try and figure out trade issues. Um, these trade wars are, are basically a negative uh, long-term situation. So, um, Yeah, for all economies, the, actually. For, both for all sides. economies, exactly. And so, the next question that a lot of clients are asking me, though, is how are we going to pay for this? And we've all been uh, asking this question, you know, how we've spent money in terms of protecting our citizens. We've spent money on COVID uh, research and testing and et cetera. There's a lot of money being spent to support people financially, whether it's employment insurance, um, you name it. So th- there's a lot of money being spent at this point. And, 
the the issue is that it's never really been tax increases that have been successful at getting rid of deficits or paying for a situation like this. What it's what the true big lever in this is growing or inflating the economy. And that is where you'll get the biggest and quickest payback in terms of the costs associated with um, uh, with COVID. But one of the most interesting insights that he provided was that it may not even be the government that ends up paying for this or us as citizens through taxes. It's going to be bondholders. And Don, you sort of alluded to this talking about with a 40-year cycle of declining interest rates and now uh, through an inflationary period, an an increase in interest rates. He talked about um, if we end up with 5% inflation for three years, the cost to an individual bond owner over that three-year period three-year period is going to be 15 trillion dollars of lost value guess what that's pretty much what the u.s has spent on covid Hmm. and so in theory in three years the cost of covid could be completely paid for through uh the lost value in bonds over that time period so you know he doesn't see taxation as being a real big pullback um but we'll talk a little bit later about some of the risks that he does see. So the question often comes up because we're Canadian as well is what about Canadian economy is what about oil and the energy sector? And, um, you know, years ago it used to be, you know, peak oil. We were trying to figure out how much there is available. Now we're talking about peak demand, like how much people actually want it. And uh, so with, the oil economy, the oil sector, it, it used to represent in the 80s about 80 to 20, 18 to 20 percent of the stock market in terms of valuation, those businesses. Today in the U.S., it's around 3 percent. So it has been dramatically reduced in terms of the impact on the oil industry. But the, his true belief in this, and, and I know there's been uh, announcements this week at uh, Ford here and, and batteries in Canada, but it really is the time to move on and away from oil as a uh, as a dependency for this country. It'll be a slow thing, but it'll get replaced eventually over time. And it's interesting, um, Andy, when you're talking about oil. Uh, if we if you remember the '70s, it was all about is there enough oil? Exactly. Is there enough supply? It's going to run out, and certainly the the experts expected it to run out by now. To be honest. They had it running out within 40 years. All these experts got together, and it was all about supply, not knowing that you know cars would be created with better efficiencies and they would find different ways to extract oil. So that didn't even come into it. Now, all the conversations are all about demand for oil. Exactly. So we've gone from one extreme, do we have enough, to is there enough demand for oil? And that's actually, like as you mentioned, there's going to be alternative energies. We've seen that a lot already. Certainly Tesla is taking the forefront there. But hopefully some of those ones in Oakville uh, start to uh, come in with some great electric cars. And, and the next thing you know is we'll be all driving electric cars. Or, and, and maybe our houses will be heated differently. So there's a lot of different things. So I know we're, uh, we're, when we come back, I just want to talk and touch on um, the idea of gold, because gold is certainly something in our economy that we talk about a lot. Uh, Canada is a gold producer, and, um, and often, you know, Don will get questions from clients about having gold or moving into gold in their portfolio. 
And uh, so I want to talk about his insights on gold and where he is uh, in terms of uh, owning it or not owning it. And, uh, and then we want to just talk a little bit about the risks that he uh, identified going forward in the economy and in the stock market as well. And, um, and that also includes a little discussion about technology stocks as well. So I think that there's, um, you know, again, Dr. Jeremy Siegel, a fantastic individual. If you're uh, at all interested, look at his book, uh, uh, Stocks for the Long Run, as well as the new book, which is The Future for Investors. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows as well. Ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're going to take a quick break. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And if you want to hear old archive shows or ask a question via the listener inquiry button, you can check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're talking about long-haul stocks here. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to bring you back to my, uh, my my comments as I was saying. I first met Dr. Jeremy Siegel back in 2008, and at that time we were in our finan- the financial crisis, and the issue and the discussion about gold came up again. Obviously, back then as a safe haven, and um, you know at that time he was not interested in gold as an investment, and he presented uh, the long long sort of long haul long track record information about how gold is, has fared over time. And typically, it's not been a, a very good investment. And now, that said, uh, it was interesting that for the first time in 50 years, he has now recommended a small slice of gold to be held in a portfolio. And the context of that was simply from the, 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 basically seeing higher inflation. And inflation has always been a driver of the price of gold. Uh, the more things cost, the more costly it is to get it out of the ground, and the more, therefore, the consumer is going to have to pay to, um, to use gold or to own gold. So, uh, so that was one big shift that I noticed. And so uh, uh, I'm hope, I don't want everyone to sort of run out and start jump, jump out and buying gold. I think it yeah. still has to be discussed in the, in the context of your overall financial plan. And when we're talking about a small slice, typically this is something that would be like one or two percent of your portfolio. This is and not it's interesting, Andy. I, I did um, some of our speakers we've listened to over the last few months. Some of the fund managers have actually added gold to their mix. Even a Canadian fund manager has added gold, which they never have for the exact same reasons Dr. Siegel has mentioned as a great hedge. And so if this is something I personally haven't seen for the whole time. I've my whole career. And all of a sudden, gold is is become a good hedge because of inflation issues. And that reminds me, you know, when you are working with a financial planner and you have a uh, managed portfolio for your investments, then this is something that's going on behind the scenes. You're not having to worry about including gold in your portfolio because the the power of, of 
of those working behind the scenes, the smart people that are day-to-day looking at a portfolio and how to minimize uh, the risk in it, they're the ones that are going to help you in terms of adding that gold position, and that will show up in terms of your return down the road. So we wanted to yeah. talk a little bit I about s- risk. L- let me ask too. a question here, Andy, because yeah. uh, last week or a few weeks ago we were talking about interest rates being uh, unconventionally low, and they were going to stay that way for a long period of time. Yeah. So yeah. is that is that in sync with what you're saying here that, you know, we could, you know, uh, perhaps uh, delve into gold and, and prepare for inflation? Isn't that contradictory? Yeah, I think what, what, what I took from this is that the short-term rates are going to remain low for a long period of time. So what that means is prime is going to stay low, but the government will, as a result of inflation and the printing of money, will start to push out the long-term rates. So those, um, the 10-year bonds, the 20-year bonds, the 30-year bonds, and obviously, as a result of that, longer-term mortgages. So we sort of get back to that more traditional where there's a larger spread between the uh, short-term mortgages and long-term mortgages, but with short-term interest rates still staying uh, low and where they are for the next several years. Is that the same uh, between variable interest rates and fixed interest rates? Same thing, that gap will widen as right. opposed to yeah. together. The yeah. gap will start to widen according to, again, this is according to Dr. Siegel. So we, we can't take any blame if this doesn't work out, of course. No. Yeah, just, just this theories. Is a prediction yeah. in the future. Yeah. Um, but when there is inflation, interest rates do tend to rise. And his guessing is it will be the longer term rates. But who's to say that the short-term rates don't trickle up a little bit too. So, uh, you know what, um, I always, uh, I'm a big believer in not getting too greedy. And if interest rates are low as they are now, and you can get a 5% mortgage under 2%, I would be going that way personally. A five-year mortgage under 2%, yeah. Um, so when he, when he talked about the risks going forward, he said it's not COVID. This is not going to be, this is something that will uh, it will fade away. It will be part of our lives, and, and it will always sort of float around. But with vaccines, etc., there'll be a, a very powerful return to normal as we will know it in the future. His biggest risks uh, that he sees if there was a big shift, shift, sorry, to the to the left politically in the U.S. So if we see a Biden um, uh, presidency with a uh, a Democratic Senate and a big push towards um, there will be higher corporate taxes, he talks about, but the personal taxes, et cetera, that may be um, something that would be an economic impact. And uh, Trump, on the other side, he, he said, is, is wrong on trade. There's, it's really a destructive policy to put in these, um, these types of uh, trade, trade wars that he's done. And finally, he said, you know what, there are always clouds on the horizon when it comes to investing. And you will always see black clouds. There will be something that's going on at some point. And I love this comment. He said, if you're waiting for that cloudless moment, then you've probably bought at the very top of the market. (laughs) And that's not a good thing. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, 
The guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, 905-529-7165. They'll return your call. And for more information, listen to old archive shows or ask a question via the listener inquiry button. You can check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right, going to talk about things people forget to do with their money. Yes, and I know we've been talking about the markets and the economy and the impact, and, and kind of the bottom line from that was, you know what, have some faith. The economy does eventually do well, and the markets aren't necessarily linked to exactly to the economy. They have their own heartbeat line, and they average about 6% above inflation over the long run, and they're an excellent investment. So, again, that was kind of the, what most of this was about. But then we have to realize what the financial plan all about. And investments are part of it. So that's where we went the first three segments. But you still have to remember, you have to look at your cash flow and insurance planning, the estate planning and retirement planning. These are things that we talk about every show. And one of the things that people often forget to include when I'm speaking with them is opportunity cost. And I would suggest that's one of the largest errors in a, in a, in a financial plan. Because when I look at them, it shows me what they are at right now, but it doesn't show what they are, could have been at. And for example, I, I've, I've seen somebody recently, and they had about 50000 in the bank, and they liked it. They like having 50000 in the bank. It's a great spot to leave in. They feel comfortable. But they also had a line of credit that they owed about 100000 on. And had they have used the 50000 to pay down the line of credit, that would save about $2,000 a year in interest, and that's after-tax money, which really, if you're in the highest tax bracket, means you have to make $4,000 before tax to pay off, to pay down the 2000 So that, that's $167 a month in interest, and again, you'd have to make $333 a month that you could have put into your RSP. Well, that changes your retirement by 316000 in 30 years, which means you have $1,000 less per month going for your pension. Um, the other one that truly is my biggest pet peeve is the ones not maximizing their group plans. I'm a huge believer in that. I, I would send most of our clients, they, you know, they look at a, how, what they should do with investments, and that would be the very first place to start. Because anytime there's a matching to your group plan, you're missing out on free money. And it was kind of interesting. I had a situation where I dealt with a group plan years ago, and they had 50% participation rate because they didn't know how much benefit they would actually get through having the matching. In fact, I told them that it was actually better to borrow than to miss out on this, because they could always get the matching out later and use it if they were in a stock matching plan. And it turns out, if you had, say, say you had a 4%, in, uh, you had to put in 4% and the company would match 2%, and you made 80000 a year. Over 30 years, that means you would have had $126,000 of of company money if it, if it made 6%. So again, can't say this enough. Uh, and it's funny, after we discussed it, they went from 50% to over 80% participation rate just by getting the education because they didn't know, they didn't want to lose out on that free money. Um, other things, um, insurance. And insurance is one of the bigger op- opportunity costs. You really should. I know Andy went over different insurances last year, last week rather, on disability particularly. But life insurance, disability insurance, 
critical illness, long-term care. If you're in a position that if you had an illness or a, or a death and it would have a huge impact on where your finances would go, you would obviously need insurance. Don, I just want to add one thing there. In, sure. in talking with the insurance insurance companies over the last uh, couple of months, what what we've come to realize is that as they've shifted over to a virtual application process, it's actually become less intrusive and easier to get insurance than ever before. So the underwriting process, which um, can be very onerous in terms of getting uh, approved for a policy, has kind of been backed off. So oh. there's a real opportunity for anybody who wants to review their insurance situation. Now is the time the insurers are sort of more open or less, um, I guess, less critical or less stringent in terms of their underwriting than they've been before. Well, that's great. Good to know. And, and it's really, there is a science to getting the proper amount of insurance. Just because you can afford lots of insurance doesn't mean you should get it. It really comes down to what's your lifestyle. And we go through a needs analysis to find out how much life insurance should you have. You may already have enough. Do you have proper disability coverage? Does critical illness, does, does that make sense for you? And if you're old enough, long-term care. Or is there a risk that you couldn't afford it down the road, so you may need long-term care insurance? Or you'd rather leave a bigger estate and let the insurance company pay for long-term care. But all these things, I have seen people, unfortunately, not have the proper insurance. And then when there is an issue, a, a, a tragic event happens, then their whole plan, unfortunately, doesn't get to fruition. So when it does look at what things do for, people do forget, and we're talking very smart people, they, it, it's just an emotion. And really going over your opportunity costs that you're missing out on, your insurances, and really when I look at a situation, how do we make it as efficient as possible so that down the road if we say, okay, you would have a million-dollar net worth, well, it may have actually should have been two million. You just needed to have the proper investment plan, the proper financial plan to get it to that level. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. Check out their website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there as well. Ask a question via the listener inquiry button, or you can call now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. From our little squares on our desk here, uh, good to see you boys again, and we'll chat again next week. Thanks, Scott. Thanks Stay much, well. Scott. Take care. Have a good week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.